0: So now, the message today is, almost has a carnal annotation to it, but we learned we beautiful life lessons from it. And I've titled the message, In the Game or At the Game. I know that's a little bit of a sports thing, but that's exactly what I want to use today. Uh, uh, athletes, the to work
1: to illustrate
0: the heavenly truths that God has for us. We come here to worship. We come here to worship and to seek God. And one of the ways God speaks to us is through everyday life and everyday illustrations. And I've used them generally here since I've been coming here. And I don't want to stop using them because I've seen how they've connected to my heart, how they've done a work in my own life. And I don't know how many of you actually follow sports, but sports is something that's very easy to relate to. As a young man, I worshipped the NHL (coughs) before I was converted. (laughs) When Jesus got a hold of my life back in 1992, I knew that's the first thing that had to go Sports can be an idol. I know that. But the Bible also actually gives us some very spiritual, quite a few spiritual lessons using athletes and competitive sports. So I'm not putting it as all sports is idolatry. Every one of us will know in our hearts whether we are worshiping something other than the God of the universe. But like the military, sports provides us with amazing insights into the Christian life. The Bible uses athletes to illustrate great truths. Words like goal is in the Bible. Words like, words like the prize. Where's the prize usually? Competitive. Words like, phrases like, I beat my body. I strive for the mastery. Words like Training. Running in a race. Hebrews 12.1. Running the race that is set before us. Running well, he said to the Galatians. You guys were running well. He's always... He, Paul, the Bible, the Bible is short on using these words and these very um, familiar terminology to, to bring the people of God to understand spiritual truths. I don't know that they had such an obsession with sports back then, but apparently they did it did it. That's uh, nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. I believe back then it was even worse than it is today. They were they were competing naked in the Olympics. The Greeks. So anyway, I would like you to turn to the Bible uh, to begin here. First uh, uh, Corinthians 9 24 and 27. I want to look at two passages here as the main um, gist of the message here. First Corinthians 9. I missed my... Sorry, 1 Corinthians 9. Starting at verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain... And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that's beating the air, but I keep under my body, And bring it into subjection, lest at any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Praise God for His Word. Here Paul is using an unmistakable connection between the athlete and the Christian. Unmistakable. And now I want to make a very clear distinction between someone trying to work his way into the kingdom... And someone who is a Christian and is living out his born-again life. No work and no beating of our body and no fighting will ever get us across from being a non-Christian to being a Christian. That is only a work that Jesus Christ can do. He's the one who bridged the gap between us and God and planted us from being lost to saved. But as His children, as His children... Paul calls us to fight. He calls us to spiritual warfare. He calls us to compete. He calls us to, to beat our bodies, to discipline ourselves. Not to get brownie points with God. Not to get saved. But because we are His children. We are shining forth His praises. I want to get that out of the way, just so that that, that part is clear. That People don't think I'm preaching works here. Discipline yourself, as Jesus, as the Bible clearly teaches us here. So we say, I would just like to engage uh, God's people, that it's not just for individuals here. This is for church bodies, but for individuals as well. That our relationship with Jesus is actually serious business. That our walk with God is... Is serious in such a to such an extent that his glory is, is dependent on it. Because the only way Jesus shines through on this earth here is through me and you. He could choose to show himself in different ways, but me and you are vessels that reflect the image of God, image of Jesus Christ. And so it's a call to fellowship. There's a call to interdependence of God's people. There's a call to unity and spiritual warfare. And so our Christian life can be likened to a sports team. An individual athlete, as Marty was telling me, was a runner. A runner, same thing. The idea is the discipline. Or it can be likened to a team. A church body. Or the body of Christ as a whole in the whole world. It's a team. And I don't want to take it too far apart. As you know, we can get down into the details and actually lose the meaning of it all. But in the spiritual realm, there are only two teams. And each team has their players. And each team has their fans. Two teams, two forces, battling it out to the very end. And we know what those forces are. force between good and evil. God and Satan. And Jesus and Satan, I'd say. Because Jesus is the commander of the armies of the living God. So these two forces are, are, are at work in the spirit realm. And as Christians, yes, we want our team to win. We want to, the Christianity to win. We cheer on whenever we hear a good work of God and we... We, we, we praise the Lord, and uh, what, do, what do we do when the enemy, what, what do sports teams, what fans do when the enemy gets an upper hand or starts winning, we boo them, you know, we uh, get upset over them, because they're be- beating our team, and it's the same in the spirit realm, when Satan is making these advances, you see what he's doing in the schools, you see what he's doing now with this sickening idea of transgender bathrooms. In in, in, in in schools and in public places. The mind fails to wrap around how far a nation can come that they want to impose this on the generation, on children. Uh, I mean, it's just one thing after another. First of all, homosexuality. Uh, you know, it, it never stops. And so we, as God's people, are grieved by what, what we see going on. And we... we and any, any normal human being hates what the enemy is doing. And we see the devil's kingdom doing his work and we're sad about it. But the challenge for God's people today and every day is are we in the game or are we just at the game? That's the challenge. Cheering on, that's a great thing. But it's not going to get the work done. It's not going to get the job done. We as God's people are either active or we are passive. There is no middle ground. We are either actively engaged or we are passively engaged. Just sitting on the sidelines watching everything happen. We want the Christian church to move ahead. And there is basically what I call on this side, those who are the the, the saved, there is the two kinds. Those who believe in Jesus and those who actually count the cost and follow Him. Pay the price and follow Him. Those who say, here I am, send me. And this this is so true when we get to what, what Jesus said to Luke in Luke 14. We call Jesus says a powerful word here to his disciples. In Luke 14, let me page over there quickly here. Luke 14, verse 25. We can start here. Verse 25. These are his words. They're They're not my words. He is the author of this book. And there was a great multitude with him. And he turned and said to them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now this is an incredibly hard scene. What was Jesus trying to say here? Does he want us to hate someone? No. The word in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in the, back in, the, in those olden days, did, did not mean a little hate as we see it today. It means placing preference, preferring above. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after they had laid the foundation and were not able to finish it, those that behold it begin to mock him, saying, Ha! This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, He sendeth an ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever he be, that forsakes not all that he has cannot be my disciple. Those are some of the most powerful words in the entire Bible. And what is Jesus saying here? What is Jesus trying to tell us here? You know, I said at home to our church, to our congregation, I think many of us are... Rather than uh, 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 we're a work in progress, but our lives are filled with gaps. We, 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 there's a lot of knowledge that's missing about of that character and of the nature of God, and we catch on as we go through life, and we catch on to this, we catch on to that. But generally, we're made up of a bunch of, uh, of there's a bunch of gaps in our lives that we don't quite get everything God has for us. It's not a life, God, I'm here, you've got to bless me because I'm following you. No. God, you deserve everything I am and everything I've got just because of who you are. Just because of what you've given me. What has He given us? Eternal life. A transaction has happened. He purchased me, therefore I belong to Him, as I've said here before. And that means, I, wanna, I need to bring him something back. I need to bring him, and, and here he, he's calling us to discipleship. And so how that ties together with being in the game or at the game is almost profound. Being a Christian and in fellowship doesn't right away mean we are in the game. It may mean we're just at it. There's a fundamental difference between the two. At the game, let's just draw a little picture here. At the game, what do we do? We mark our calendar. Next game, next game. We plan it. We schedule it. Schedule it all in there. And we bring our snacks and our popcorn and our streamers and face paint and whatever the, you know, whatever fans do. And we cheer on. They make the noisemakers. We cheer on our team. Well, we pay cash, support it, till we get in the door. But for the rest of the time, we're basically living our own lives. When we're a fan. For the rest of the time, we're basically just doing what we normally do. But in the game, you are an athlete. There's a special diet for athletes. There's grueling practice. There's workouts. There's studying the opponent's plan and strategy. For what? Just to defeat them. There's a rigid schedule. There's a shift in the athlete's priorities as his whole life focuses around one thing, and that's to get to the top, to be the best. And Paul says it in our text. He said, They do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible. One that never fades away. And I believe, when I become a Christian, a true child of God, that heaven is my inheritance. Amen. It's my inheritance. But there's a war to be fought down here. And the enemy is incredibly busy, and we see it every day there's a war down there. And we as God's people need to fight that war valiantly because look at the incredible promise we have. We win. Last chapter. Read it. We win. So that should make us fight valiantly. Fight that fight of faith. Using the athlete as an illustration. There's complete submission to the captain and the coach for a teammate for for someone who's in the game. He has to have special equipment. He has to be focused. And you know what else? He better be on time for the games and the practice sessions. Or he's in trouble. Big difference. In the game, each one realizes that he counts. Everybody knows that he counts and in Hebrews chapter 6, I want like to take you to a verse here in Hebrews 6 10 to 12 to illustrate that point. Hebrews 6 10 to 12 He says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work, that's Hebrews 6 10 and labor of love which you have showed towards His name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hallelujah. He is telling us here, you, you guys, you got it. Fight! God is not unrighteous to forget your labors of love. Keep fighting. We win in the end, even if Satan scores a few victories. And we know when we watch athletes competing, sometimes the opponents win. You know, in the end, the best team usually wins. Right now, there's his playoffs on. You see, there's some teams, just... Play out their heart and soul. What do you think the devil is doing right now? He's playing out his heart and soul. We've got to be in the game to defeat him. So there's a fundamental. So each, each player in a game realizes that he counts. One dumb move can cost his team. Losing control of his temper. costs his team a penalty and gives the enemy an advantage. Being careless hurts his team. Being self-willed, not obeying the, 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 not following the, the game plan from the coach, puts you at odds with your teammates. And it hurts. A player doing his own thing in a, cru- in a crucial game we would call madness. And what would the fans say if the star player one day didn't even show up at a game, at a critical game? He didn't show up because maybe he partied too much the other day, or something? Or just decided he doesn't want to? The fans would feel let down. The team would be let down. And so look how critical it is for, for athletes in their field How critical it is for teamwork, for dedication to win. What do you think it is in the Christian life? The church life. The body of Christ. We matter. Every one of us, we matter. We don't need to be missionaries out in the field. We either support whatever God has blessed us with, whatever gifts, whatever abilities, whatever God it's not unrighteous to forget our labors of love. So at the game, a fan is just a number. Supporting your team? Sure. But if one doesn't show up at the game, it don't matter. It don't matter. It don't matter if you had a workout before the game, or if you stuffed yourself full of junk food. It don't matter. You can still cheer. It don't matter if you come halfway through the game. The team is playing. They really don't need you. It don't matter if we miss a game or two. And it don't matter if you party before the game. The team is doing its work. And so there's a fundamental difference between being a fan and being a team member. And God's people need to understand that we are team members. That we are part of a a war and a battlefield that needs to be won. And it needs to be won and it's going to be won by God's people. In the Old Testament at one point God was so angry at the children of Israel for their rebelliousness and stiff neck he said to Moses get away from these people I'm going to just wipe them off and start from scratch with you. So God was almost ready to wait another 500 years, start with one man, and wipe and wipe off a whole generation. He was almost ready to do that. You can see he forbears long. I know that. I won't be here today if you wouldn't, and probably you either, neither. He forbears long. He loves. He disciplines. He lifts us up when we're down. It gives us hope in our greatest sufferings. But all this is to transform us and to change us and to mature us. A soldier does not enlist in the army and then gets his guns and his helmet and his gear. He goes to training camp. You know, church life is training camp. Church life is training camp. That's where we get disciplined. That's where God's Word goes deep into our innermost being and transforms us. When we seek to go out and practice it tomorrow with a business associate, we practice the gospel with those, with the guy who cuts me off on the road, with those who make us angry, with those who don't care. Those who don't care about human life. Those who don't care about the good things God has given us. We practice. We put it into practice. And that is that, that strengthens us. When we, when, we, when we do not give in to the flesh. When we do what Jesus wants us to do in everyday life circumstances. When we bring a person to the throne of God with come on our face before Him and pray for them. Then we're engaged spiritual warfare and God he is not limited he can make so many opportunities for us to bring hope and to transform us day by day into his image so that relates to us in a very very um, close to home way athletes and uh, he said it again in Mark 16, 24-27 when He says, If any man come to Me, let him deny himself and follow Me. For whoever will not take up his cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. My so, I the only thing I get out of it when I look at God's Word and how I'm putting them all together, it just shows that my Christian life is not a part-time thing. It's a full-time commitment. It's a full-time commitment. To take up our cross, to yield, to forsake. As Paul said, I beat my body. Wow. And bring it into subjection. And this means he's not letting it, it's letting his flesh do whatever it wants. He says no. Bring it into subjection. Keeping it under fighting our enemy. Biggest enemy we got, we all know, is Satan. But our flesh is also pretty hostile to the Spirit. Our own flesh doesn't want to go. Our own flesh often is the biggest holdup towards the purposes of God, not in your life and mine. And that's the battlefield. Fighting it every step of the way. Not to get right with God, but because, just to make sure it is is. This is very clear to us. Just because we are his children, we will fight. We will fight for that kingdom. It is knowing the enemy's strategy, taking on the armor of God, living soberly, righteously, and justly in this present age. It is accepting responsibility and knowing I count Man, that gives purpose to everything we do. Everything we do. When we think, when we count. Like a team player. We've seen it all. If any of you have ever watched any game, make one player that will do something stupid. And he realized it in order. Nice to him. But you see how much it cost. You see how much of a toll it bit on his team. And how he let them down. Can we take that over into the real warfare? The real battlefield? Us, God's people against Satan's enemies. Satan and his hordes. Can we do that? If we can do that, we are... Engaged in a victorious battle, one that we are guaranteed to win, and this is every Christian's role. John 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said to them, I had a whole bunch of verses for, for this one here, but I just dropped on these two here. John 8, 31 and 32, he said, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. What a word. Then are you my disciples indeed. I like that word, the way Jesus said it. You know, He, he, is, he is telling us, you matter to me too. I, I'm, I'm, we're, we're winning this war. Down here and, and you matter. And you're indeed someone I can count on. Someone I I can just use for, for a noble work and purposes. You are my disciples indeed, that's wonderful. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Hallelujah. You know the truth and the truth shall set us free. What a glorious God we have. But how does that relate to us in everyday life? It relates to it we're in a battlefield whether we are raising our children whether we're dads and mums we're in a battlefield battlefield for the heart of our children because the devil is after them too. And they have infiltrated every public school and every public safe place. They want their children to children's hearts. So we're engaged in a warfare right there. How to deal with so many issues that come our way. We need prayer. We need wisdom. We need direction. And our coach gives that. You know? He's the coach. Jesus. He says, the captain of our salvation. We can't go wrong listening to him. We can't go wrong. It is when we go our own path. He knows the enemy's strategy inside out. No problem. And he shows us how to defeat him. When When it says in Scripture, I don't know if I've said that here before, but when it says in Scripture, in everything give thanks, that's battle strategy. Did you know that? That's battle strategy. Because one of the ways Satan gets an upper hand on us is by discouraging us. Or by confusing us. And when when he gets us discouraged, the next thing you know, he's got us depressed. And when we're depressed, we are useless on the playing field. And so in everything, give thanks. Rejoice evermore. Wow. How do you do that? We need a power that's higher than I. We need a power that's beyond yours and mine. And when we tap into that power and lay our lives down, say, Jesus, I will follow you to take our thing. He gives us the power to be thankful. You know, there are certain things we can't be thankful for, like for a bad thing that happens, but we can be thankful For the good things that have happened. We can be thankful for. I mean even in. In uh, the the sorrow we had. And the sadness of that. uh, Sick child and a baby that passed away. We found. Things to be thankful for. We found something. To actually give him praise. If not for the actual thing. But there is something. No matter what we face. We are more blessed than most people. And when, we, when God, and the reason God does that, wants us to be thankful, is to change our attitude from one from self pity and from despair and, oh Lord, not again, and why are you doing this to me? We, our, our mind changes from one from a, uh, from a pity party to one that actually magnifies the majesty of God. And it's heart transforming. It changes us on the inside. And then it's reflected on the outside. And the unbeliever comes up. Cannot understand why we can have so much peace in the midst of turmoil. Can't understand why, our, why aren't you angry at that God for doing that to you? No, because we're not our own. Did you know that God doesn't owe us a thing? He created everything. And in Him is the breath of every living thing. That includes me and you. So I don't own my life. I could be gone tomorrow. But learning to embrace God in every circumstance, we are actually engaged athletes fighting a spiritual warfare. And there's many more, of course there's. A personal pursuit of holiness a responsibility of of forgiving others the responsibility of of uh, laying our lives down of reaching out beyond ourselves uh these are all little things and that's a message in and of itself so i just want to use the overall purpose of the message to help us understand that as children of god we need to be engaged to be fully included in the activity of God. And we don't need to go to Africa to do it. French and Butte's good enough. There's our neighborhood, there's our farm, there's the First Nations. We have, we are, you know, the needs are everywhere. And being engaged brings God down and empowers us to move on. So I'd like to close with a a word here, a couple of passages that are are so beautiful. John 12, verses 26, he says, If any man serve me, I think we should mark that verse down. It's it's just so, so beautiful. If any man serve me, let him follow me. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. How beautiful to have this assurance. And now here's the real gem. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. The God of the universe honor me. Wow. That should make our hair stand on end. That the God of the universe would honor a worm like me. That is totally awesome. I don't deserve it. And I never will. But He delights to honor us. He wants to, it says, it's my Father's good pleasure to give Him the kingdom. Do you know why he can't? Because we choose to go our own way too often. We don't follow that captain. We don't follow the captain. And then he can't honor us as he would love to. Just think of a sports team. And another one. 2 Timothy 4. 7 to 8. 2 Timothy 4, Here's his other. here again this is this sports and this athlete. You just can't help but notice how he uses it to, to bring those heavenly truths home. Verses 7 and 8, he says, I have fought a good fight. The new translation says, I have competed well. I like that. I have competed well. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's beautiful. I have finished the course. You see, in national sports, only one receives a prize. Here, we all receive the prize, if we compete lawfully, fight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only. Not to me only but to them also that love His appearing. We have this confidence. And that should cause us to fight valiantly, no matter what. That should cause us to devote ourselves to Him, to devote ourselves to prayer, reading His Word, knowing His will, and doing it. And all God wants to do with us, you see, our usefulness to Him It's directly proportional to our surrender to him. Directly proportional. If if I'm 75% Reuben and 25% Jesus, that's how much he can use and show his glory in me. If I'm 50-50, that's when he can do 50%. Directly proportional. I'm not telling you where I am, though. God bless you.